we just celebrated Christmas and New Year's. And anybody with family? Was anybody with any grumpy family members over the holidays? All right. Have you ever had a time where you, you were looking forward to something that you were going to do with other people? We're just excited. And when you got together with those other people, one of those individuals was kind of sour. Have you ever had that before? And just kind of put a damper on the whole thing and just it didn't turn. And you were so disappointed because you were so excited and it just didn't turn out that way because somebody else didn't feel that great. And I don't know if you've ever had a day where you've not felt great. Maybe you've been the person that made everything sour during that occasion. Anybody ever been the grumpy person? Okay. Uh, yeah, Glenn's, Glenn's saying double amen over there. <laughs> uh, we sometimes have bad days. Have you ever woken up on the, we say, on the wrong foot or the wrong side of the bed where you just, I don't feel like I like people today. Have you ever woken up like that? Like, I, I just don't feel like doing anything. I don't feel like being nice. I just kind of hate everything in life today. And, and I don't really want to even maybe make God happy. I just kind of don't feel great. Have you ever had those days before? And those days, we tend to not do the best things with those days, do we? Or maybe sometimes, maybe it's been rare, but sometimes you've woken up on the right side of the bed where you felt great. Anybody ever have those days before where you woke up and you're just like, I love everybody. I feel great, kind of like Scrooge at the end of the Christmas carol. You know, I just, I love everybody. I feel great. I love life. I just want to do anything for everybody. And it's on those days that we tend to do great things, right? Because we have the right outlook and attitude. Uh, the disappointing thing about that, though, is in order for us to ever truly experience the most amount of good, especially in this life, then everybody around us has to have that good day at the exact same time. Think about that. Everybody would have, because our day is affected by other people around us, right? Other people's moods, other people's actions affect us. And in order for us to truly have the paradise that Jesus referred to when he talked to the thief on the cross, it is dependent upon all of us being in a space of being good. In fact, that's the reason why when we get to heaven, what will be removed from us? The sinful nature will be removed from us because in order for heaven to be paradise, everybody has to be in a position of good. And that could be discouraging, right? Because how in the world are we ever going to get to a place where everybody feels good at the same time? Well, actually, it, it should be a benefit to us because the positive is that means we know how to reach paradise. The way to experience paradise is for everybody to become the kind of person that they're supposed to be. That's why Jesus said to go out into the world and make disciples and teach them to listen to Caleb. Or everybody, go make disciples and teach them to put a Christian bumper sticker on their car, right? No? Go and make disciples and make everybody feel comfortable. No? Go and make disciples and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. The answer is to teach others, to teach each other how to be everything that God wants us to be. Now, I have had the unfortunate privilege. Have you ever gotten into a checkout line? And the line is going really slowly. Have you ever been there before? I know we go to checkout lines less often today because we order things online and those kind of things. But it's going real slowly. And every once in a while I've thought, because I, I see the other line is going faster. And I think, should I jump ship? Should I leave this line and go in that line? 
And then, I don't know if this ever happened to you before, but I leave the line, go into the faster-moving line, and as soon as I get in that line, that line starts moving very slowly, and the line I was in starts flying through. Have you ever had that before? I'm like, man, I jumped ship at the wrong time. Or have you ever been at like a gathering, something's happening, and, and it's just it's not entertaining you, it's not, it's not going well, and you decide to leave, and then later you find out from your friends, hey, you missed it. When you left, everything got great. And you're thinking, I hope it wasn't because I left, but, <laughs> but have you ever had that before? Everything, you just missed it because you bailed at the wrong time. And that's partly because I think that all of us want to experience the most amount of good that God has for us, but we also want to avoid any amount of comfort and, or discomfort and any amount of pain. And we avoid that, and sometimes because we try to avoid pain, we fail to experience the most amount of good that God has for us. And I don't know about you, but I want to receive the most amount of good that God has for me. And I, I'm grateful to go to heaven, but if God wants to bless me on this life as well, I want to have the most amount of good that the Lord has for me. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go on a journey over the next few weeks about how to walk in the goodness that God has for us and receive the most amount of good that he wants to give into our lives. But in order for us to get there, the first thing we're going to have to understand is why we should even care about seeking that for our lives. And there's a few things that get in the way. Uh, either we have to realize that, would anybody, like, if someone said, listen, I will pay your bills for the rest of your life, would anybody say, no, I'm good, I have Jesus? Would that be your answer? What if someone said, your ailing body and the issues that you have, uh, I, ha I have a solution for that, and I'm going to heal all your physical issues. Would you say, I have Jesus, I'm good? Now, I know that that should be the answer, but what if it was Jesus coming and saying, hey, you're saved, you're going to heaven, but I also want to take care of you. Would you say, I'm good, Jesus, I'll just wait till heaven? Would, it, would you say that? Would you not say, give me the most amount of good that you want to give me? And I, I'm not saying we won't be content and happy and faithful to the Lord if we don't get all of those things. But are we saying that we do not want to receive the most amount of good that God has for us? I think most people want that. That's why we avoid any amount of discomfort or get frustrated when things aren't going that way. And so if nothing else, pursue the most amount of, God, of good that God has for you for yourself. But... Sometimes we need to realize that, that other people need to have God's goodness. Are you, some people are the, have you ever met those people that uh, they could be okay if they never get anything, right? And they could just be hurting all the time. They're fine as long as somebody else is doing good. Have you ever known people like that? They're just as long as somebody else is good. Uh, so if you won't do it for you, then do it for the other people in your life. Because if you are in a place that you're falling apart and you're, in a, me you're a mess, it's kind of hard to bring anything of worth and value into somebody else's life. And so if nothing else, experience the stability that God has for you for somebody else. Or, if nothing else, what we're going to discover as we walk through what we have this morning is that not only is it to our benefit and others' benefits to experience all the goodness that God has for us, it's actually the will that he wants us to live out. And so if we say, if our, if our answer in our mind was, would I really say, I'm good with Jesus, don't take care of my needs? And you were thinking, yeah, that is what I would say, because all I care about is being faithful to Christ, which is great. Then know this, pursuing the most amount of good that Jesus has for you is actually God's will for your life. So if you won't do it for you, 
and you won't do it for somebody else, then do it out of your desire to faithfully live out God's will for your life. And if we do that, I believe that we're going, we can see that lives can change, our, our own as well as the lives of others, and Jesus can be glorified if we can learn to live a stable, thriving, healthy life in, in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that the gospel is powerful to change someone's life? Do we believe that? Because if we believe that, then when we walk out that, that'll be our expectation. If I follow the gospel of Jesus Christ, I will receive every blessing that God has for me. And so in order for us to get there, in order for us to actually be motivated or to care about advancing and living for the gospel message, then we need to know the answer to two questions. The first is why. Why should I communicate and live the gospel message? Why should I do that? Well, the first reason is it's in our best interest and the best interest of others. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because of my relationship with Jesus, I should treat the people around me a certain way. In fact, he says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, now listen, ladies, I know that some of us don't like this, but just let's take the positive spin on it, okay? Wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands said amen. I think there's, most of them are scared. Uh, As to the Lord... <laughs> For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Wives, submit to your husbands. Why? Because he is the head of the body. And we might get lost in the submission idea there that's sitting there and lose the reality that that means that he and I belong to each other. If the head and the body are connected to one another... His well-being affects my well-being, so I want to live in a way that makes his life good. And the result should be that, because think of it, ladies, if your husband decided that he was going to try to be the best husband that he could possibly be, would you say, well, if he does that, I'm going to treat him miserably? Would that be your answer? No? Or would it be like, I think I like this guy. I'm going to treat him better because that's what happens when we live for Christ is we treat other people better, and there is a, a side effect to that. He says the same thing to the husbands, Ephesians 5, 25 and 29. Husbands, love your wives, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And so when we love someone, we should treat the people around us well. And think about this. If I'm living for Jesus, and because we read this this morning in, in the back, we are to... to do for others as if we're doing it for Christ, as if that we will receive our reward from him. So no matter how other people are treating us, we're supposed to treat them as if they are Jesus Christ. I want you to look to the person next to you and think, you are Jesus Christ. And you're thinking, that, I don't know what you're talking about, but that person's nowhere near Jesus Christ. And it's not that they literally are, but we're supposed to treat the people in front of us as if they are Jesus Christ. Honor them, value them, bless them, take care of them, treat them well. And you can begin to see that if we start living the way Jesus wants us to live, we're going to make the people around us their lives better in the process. This is the way that the gospel message is supposed to work in us. Then we see Romans 14, 7, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. We are connected to each other. There is no person that has a bad day and doesn't end up affect, affecting somebody else negatively. And there is no person that has a good day and doesn't end up positively affecting somebody. We do not live and die to ourselves. Nothing we do, even in the privacy of our own home, is disconnected from the people around us. 
Because the more we are developing and becoming what Jesus wants us to be, we are going to bring a positive impact into the lives of others. 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. This is a collective thing. That's why there is only one body. We are not just many. We are one. We belong to each other and the work that he wants to do, he doesn't want to do it just in you. He wants to do it in us collectively. There is no disconnection. 2 Corinthians 4.15, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people. The goal is we're supposed to live in such a way that brings grace into other people's lives. And so, if nothing else, the reason why we are to live the gospel message is because it's in our own best interest to do so. It will. Do we not believe that living a surrendered life to Jesus Christ will not result in the betterment of our own lives? I'm not talking about getting a mansion on the hill or anything. I'm just saying it is more, have you not been blessed by serving Christ? It is more beneficial, it is better to live a life surrendered to Christ than to not. It is in your best interest and it is in the best interest of those connected to you to live a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. And so that's one of the reasons why we do that. The other reason that we do this is because pursuing a flourishing life in Christ is a missionary endeavor. To attempt to let Jesus make us strong in him is for the purpose of reaching more people. Think of this, 1 Timothy 3, 5. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? So think about this. If my family is not stable, then how can I be effective in helping someone else experience stability, is what he's saying. And so I need to work on making sure that I'm taking care of my household and my household is, is thriving and flourishing, not so that I could just have a happy household, but so that I can have the strength with which to bring that into somebody else's life. And so I pursue stability so that I can provide that or be a part of providing that to someone else. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, on how I'm being developed in my faith. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so I need to pray. I need to study God's word. I need to live a righteous life. I need to keep my home in order. And I need to live this kind of life because by so doing, I will gain the ability to reach other people. Because think about it this way. If I go to someone and I'm a mess, anybody feel like you're ever a mess before? I'm a mess. Everything's kind of falling apart, and, and I just kind of don't feel great about life, and, and it's just my life is a mess. And I go to someone and I say, listen, I know how your life could be better. Follow Jesus. Are you following Jesus? Yes. And they look at my messy life, or are they going to think, I should do what they're doing because it looks like it's working out for them? Are they going to do that? No, because they're gonna, there's no power in that. And we might say, well, do I need to be perfect? Do I need to, like, be rich or anything like that? No. But the power of the gospel is that it transforms a person's life. And if my life has, isn't being transformed by following and believing in the gospel message, then how can I ever say to somebody else that you should accept the same thing? And so me being strong in Christ makes me capable of doing this mission that he has for me. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Listen, ladies, I did not write that, by the way. That was Peter. You could take that up with him when we get to heaven. Uh, no ladies laughing at that. Okay. Uh, so, that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct 
of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That because a way a wife treats her husband, the husband might embrace Jesus Christ. This is a missionary endeavor. Paul, or Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. That something spiritual begins to happen if me as a husband treats my wife well. 1 Corinthians 7, 16, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? That the way I treat my spouse has the potential to convince my spouse to accept Christ. Because think of it this way, if I'm, if I'm a lousy friend, how am I going to convince them to accept Christ? If I'm a lousy employee, if I'm a lousy spouse, if I'm a lousy daughter, son, uh, parent, how am I going to convince them to accept Christ? And so part of the reason why we need to make sure that we're working towards a healthy marriage, towards a healthy home life, towards being a good employee, towards being a good friend, is not just so that we can be blessed with those relationships, but that is part of what will likely take place but because that is the foundation with which we can reach other people for Christ. The reason why some people aren't responding to the gospel message isn't because it's not powerful. It's because they're not seeing that power in us. And so we need to seek being strong in Christ for that reason. Uh, we've been discovering on Wednesday nights on our discussion group, as we're walking through the gospels, we're asking the question, how did Jesus disciple others? And what did he teach about being disciples? And in Matthew 5, we know this statement, and he says in 13 to 14, you are the salt, you are the light. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And why, why do we want them to see the good things that are happening in our lives, the good things that we are doing, so that they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven? And so the call for all of us is to be salt and light, that is to live such a good life before other people that they are compelled to serve Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important that we make sure that we're strong and we have stable lives, not just so that we can have God's goodness, but so that we can convince others, listen, Jesus is powerful and the gospel is powerful unto salvation and can transform your lives. And look at me, it's happening in my life and you should put your trust in that also. But he also gives them instructions. I've, I've never thought about this until we started doing this on Wednesday night. The Sermon on the Mount, is instructions on how to be a disciple maker. Did you know that? Because he starts out with the Beatitudes, how, character, how we're supposed to live, and then he begins to tell us, you are salt and light. And then he tells us how to live. And here's the things that he tells us about as far as how to live. That if we are angry with our brother, we will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Remember that if you remember that your brother has something against you, be reconciled to your brother. Come to, term quick, to terms quickly with your accuser. We're supposed to live in a way that we're seeking reconciliation with others, that we're treating other people well. Why? So that we can have better friendships, so that people won't be mad at us? Maybe in part, but the reality is if we live a good life towards others, we can be that light that causes others to live. Do you, do you want people to know Christ? Do you want to? The way we're going to do that is if we live out the life that he's called us to live. In Matthew 5, 31 and 32, Everyone who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery. And I know that some wrestle with Jesus' standards on divorce and remarriage, but the reason for that is divorce is brokenness. When, when divorce happens, it's the brokenness of a relationship, and we cannot advance the gospel message in that brokenness. And so we have to seek reconciliation. 
Matthew 5, 39 to 42 says, Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Would anybody like to volunteer for that this morning? No? And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We need to treat everybody around us well. And I, I wonder if we're doing that. Maybe to the people that we are benefiting from. And so if you do have a spouse that's good to you, maybe that's why you're good to them. But who among us are being good to the people who aren't good to us? The boss that treats us poorly, the spouse that treats us poorly, the children that treat us poorly. But Jesus said we are to love our enemies. And then he said, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Have you ever puzzled over that statement? Because we know that there's no way we're ever going to attain perfection in this life. Why would he call me to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect? And the reason is because it's in that discipleship context that the degree with which I'm failing to live up to God's standards diminishes my capacity to touch another person's life. And the more I'm living up to his standards, the more I can affect and touch the other people's lives that are around me. And so it's not that I need to be perfect to get to heaven, but the weaker I am, the less effective I can be in advancing this gospel message. And so our call is to be as strong as we possibly can as individuals. And yes, that will result in blessings and benefits in our own lives, but we're to do it so that we can reach other people. So that's why we should do it. People are dependent upon us being strong. Think about it this way. Think about the people who has blessed you and has impacted your life. When they came to your life, was it because they came and they were weak and they were a mess and that's how they affected your life? Or did they come with some kind of strength, whether it's they had wisdom, whether it's they had righteous character, whether it's they knew how to, to fix things or resolve things, they were good in their relationships. What was it that caused them to be able to impact your life? It was strength. It wasn't weakness. And so if we learn to live this way, this is why we should do that. It's because the world needs, doesn't the world need transformed? Isn't this world broken and fallen apart? And the way that we are going to be a part of that salt bringing that healing to this world is by being everything he's he's called us to be. But how do we communicate this gospel message? We do it first through lifestyle. Uh, We need to live an outstanding character. Again, this is why when when I lose it and I I say the wrong thing, have you ever said things that were in anger and spite, and I say the wrong thing? Yes, I can, I, I can be forgiven. Yes, I can apologize and all of those things. But I need to remember that I failed the gospel message when I responded that way. Every time, whether it's that stinking salesman on the other end of the phone that called me and caught me off guard, or whether it's my in-laws that I was visiting with over the holidays that drive me crazy, my response to them is determining whether or not I can advance the gospel message into their lives. And so I need to, everything that I can with the Lord's help, live with outstanding character. In 1 Timothy 3 and Ephesians 5, Paul lists out qualities that we're supposed to have, and they're not easy qualities to live up to. And we might notice if you look at 1 Timothy 3 that those are actually qualifications for being in church leadership, overseers, elders, and and deacons. And we might think, well, I'm not that, so I'm off the hook. I don't need to live that way. But if we read 1 Timothy 3 in chapter 4, what he's actually telling us is, 
The elders need to be that way so they can set the example to the believers on how they're supposed to be. And so all those qualities belong to us. And so, and so a summary listing of these qualities is uh, I need to approach life with wisdom. And so if, if, if we're making a lot of foolish decisions in our lives, and we might think, well, it's my, you know, I'm the one suffering the consequences for making bad financial choices. And that might be true. But we're also making us not being a good witness to others by being unwise. And I don't know if we've ever thought about it that way. If I live my life in an unwise way, I'm failing to be a good witness. And so I need to make sure that I'm approaching life with wisdom. I need to make sure that I'm controlling my desires and my emotions. Have you ever lost control of your emotions before? And he, unfortunately, for some of us, has mentioned things like anger. I need to be in control of my anger, greed, sex, alcohol, any of those things. And, and anger might be okay to, to correct somebody, and, and sex is okay within marriage, and, so, uh, and it's okay to have possessions. But I need to make sure that my emotions are not the thing that's driving my choices, that I'm not making choices based out of what I want and what my impulses are saying, but I'm making choices based on what is good and right. And I cannot go to somebody else and tell them that I have answers for your anger issues if I don't have any answers for my own anger issues. And so I need to live this kind of character. To have a positive way towards others, I need to be treating everybody around me well, no matter how they're treating me. Because again, nobody's going to reach someone that they're a jerk to. And so I have to learn how to be this. Uh, I need to exhibit good leadership skills. If you think that you're not a leader, you're mistaken. You might not be a pastor. You might not be a boss or, or something like that. But all of us are called to lead others to Christ, are we not? All of us are called to make disciples, to encourage people in their faith. So everybody in this room, if you are living and breathing, is a leader. And we are called to exercise good, healthy leadership skills. And if we don't do that, we fail to have the capacity to, to minister to others. We also need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to keep in step with what the Holy Spirit is showing us. So we need to live with outstanding character. We also need to keep ourselves in check. Because here's what begins to happen. When I begin to realize that when I start getting stuff going and my life's getting in the right place and I'm living the right way and I, I've figured out some answers. Have you ever figured out some stuff in life? You're like, I figured this out. This is going well. And, th and then I'm going to go and try to help someone else clean up their own mess and I'm going to try to show them how to clean this up. Something begins to happen in that in which sometimes we tend to start to think, uh, I'm better than that person. I've got this together, and they're a mess, and, 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 I have, and we sometimes start to think I have all the answers because we figured out some things, and we think that we, we can figure out all things, and we're the, we're the solution to all life's problems. And that's the thing we've got to be careful of when we start to try to influence other people is to realize that we do have things to offer. We do know some of the answers, but I'm not the answer. And I still mess up, and I still need to make sure that I'm also looking at me to see if there's still some mess that needs to, to, to be changed. And that's why 1 Timothy 3.6 says that the elder must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited or puffed up and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That if we start doing this too soon, we might think that we're better than we actually are. Or Paul says in Romans 2, verse 3 and 4, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet... Do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. 
Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Or Romans 2, 19 and 21, if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? And so if I'm going to go to someone and say, you should be attending church regularly, and I'm not attending church regularly, there's not much power in that. If I go to someone and say, you should be treating your wife better, and I'm not treating my wife well, there's not power in that. And so I need to make sure that I'm living up to the standard that I'm attempting to convince someone else to live up to. And the answer, the answer isn't, well, then I'm just not going to tell anybody to get better then. So that way I don't have to live up to anything. That's not the answer. The answer is to be everything that God has called me to be. So that, that's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, do not judge lest you be judged. How can we judge the person who has a speck in their eye when I have a plank in my own eye? And he didn't say the answer is just ignore the speck. He said the answer is take the plank out of your eye so that you can see clearly to take the speck out of their eye. And so the answer isn't to just not correct anybody. The answer is to make sure that I'm living up to this stuff so that I can go to someone and say, you should live up to this also. And in failing to do that, that's why Paul warns about this. Romans 2.24, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. When we try to hold people to standards that we're not living up to, it damages God's reputation, even though it shouldn't because he's perfect, but it's what it does. And so I need to make sure that I'm living up to this. I also need to make sure that I'm drawing attention to the life-giving nature of the gospel. We need people to know, because listen, I know that people should just be happy that they're going to go to heaven when they die. But the person who's bankrupt and struggling financially, sometimes that doesn't bring joy to their lives. Maybe it should, but it, it doesn't typically. The person who's struggling with depression and has all kinds of family issues, it's hard for the person who's dealing with can battling cancer. It should give them joy that the news that they're going to go to heaven, but it doesn't always do that. Have you ever had someone come to you and say something attempting to be uplifting in a difficult time and it hurt more than it did help? Okay. And so we need to understand that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he came to teach us how to do this, he didn't just say, live for heaven. He said, listen, you're worried about all these earthly things and these matters. Trust me and I will what? Take care. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and what? All these things will be added to you. He is telling them, listen, live for me and the things you're worried about will be taken care of. Your earthly life will be blessed. And we need to make sure that we're showing people that that is the case. It says in 1 Timothy 4, 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Or 1 Timothy 4, 11, command and teach these things. 1 Timothy 4, 13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Ephesians 5, 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 4, 2, by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Did you hear what they said? Before you, we say, look at us. Why? Because we want you to see what God is doing in and through us. And then 2 Corinthians 4.13, I believe and so I spoke. If we believe in the power of the gospel, then we need to start saying it. It's not good enough just to believe it as far as the effect on other people's lives. We need to believe it, and because we believe it, we say it. I think part of the reason why we're not saying it is because we don't think it will change somebody's life. We're afraid that if we say, accept Jesus, 
their life will be no different. We're afraid that if we say get involved in the life of the church, that it won't do anything to their lives. And that's why we don't say it, because we don't believe it. But if I believe it, I will begin to say it. And so do we believe that the gospel has the power to transform a person's life? If we do, we need to start showing it and saying it. That's why in 1 Peter 3, 9, listen to this. Uh, we are to live this way that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Uh, we'll live this way. He wants to bless us in this earthly life. And we might say, well, I think the blessing's just in heaven. Well, 1 Timothy 4, 8, 8 says this. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The gospel message is meant to impact not only our eternal destination, but also our earthly life. 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We need to make sure that people know that, that life is better serving Jesus, and we can't just pretend like it is. We have to be able to actually demonstrate to them this is, how, is, how my life is getting better. And this is why. And I need to show them that Jesus is doing that. And so I do that through my lifestyle. I do that through ideas. I need to make sure that they understand certain things. And the first is that living for Jesus results in blessings. Uh, Paul adds to that idea in Romans 14, 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. In verse 19, he says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 2 Corinthians 4.11, he says, So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Jesus, living for Jesus, makes our lives better. It does. And if we don't believe that, it's probably because we're not experiencing that. And the more we walk with Jesus, we should discover he is changing, transforming my life, and I need somebody else to see that. But I also need to communicate that living for Jesus demands righteousness. It's not just I turn on Caleb and I start going to church and start reading my Bible and then all of a sudden everything's just going to be great. It's not that. It's that if I actually surrender every part of my life, then things start to get better. That's why he says to live that way. 1 Timothy 3, 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. 1 Timothy 4, 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the example uh, the believer is an example. 1 Timothy 4.15, so that all may see your progress. Ephesians 5.3, speaking of immorality and things like that, these must not even be named among you. 1 Timothy 3.16, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered by those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they may be put to shame. Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. If God is not blessing your life, there's a good chance it's because there's some way that you're not actually surrendering to him. I mean, you might say, well, I'm, I'm praying. I'm asking God to work in my life. I'm reading the Bible every day. I'm going to church. But I'm not seeing the, the power of God displayed in my life. There's a good chance that, that if that is the case, it's because I'm not actually surrendering some portion of my life to Christ. And I need to know that. That's why Jesus said, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Because the blessing isn't received by just simply saying, yay, Jesus, or saying some sinner's prayer. The blessing in life is by yielding to everything that Jesus teaches us to do. And so if we're not yielding our finances to him, and we're not living our financial life the way he called us to, to live, we can't say God's not faithful. 
If we're not uh, approaching our relationships the way we're supposed to approach our relationships and they're not good, we can't say that it's because God is not faithful. The way we're going to see God bless our lives. And if we tell the other person, hey, just start listening to Caleb and your life will be great. And listen, I don't have anything against Caleb, by the way. Okay? But if that's what we're offering to people, as great as Caleb is, it's not going to transform the person's life. And we're setting them up for, for failure to leaving and walking away from their faith because we're telling them that if you just do this, your life will be blessed. And that's not the truth. The blessed life is to live a life absolutely surrendered to Jesus Christ. Also, we need to communicate that living for Jesus involves suffering. Because if we tell them that living for Jesus will make everything great all the time, then when things begin to fall apart, and they will, doesn't life fall apart at various points, then they will think they were wrong. Living for Jesus doesn't do that. And we need to make sure that it actually does involve suffering, and we need to know why it involves suffering. Do you know why we suffer? Because what? Are you reading the notes? <laughs> the reason, there's only three reasons we suffer. It's either my sin. It's either I'm the one that made a mess of this and now I'm suffering the consequences of that. Or it's somebody else's sin. That person that's treating me badly or not doing the things that they should in my life, that's the reason why I'm suffering because they're not living a life yielded to Christ, which the answer then is to attempt to disciple them to see that change. The other reason is because we live in a fallen world. And even though that tornado, even though some TV preachers might claim this at times, even though that tornado is not the result of one person's specific sin, it is a result of sin. We would never have had a tornado if we wouldn't have started bringing sin into this world. Never had an earthquake, no wildfire, no flood, no death. Because the wages of sin is death. We would never have had any, no anxiety, no insecurities, no emotional uh, knots or depressions would have never been, would ever been experienced if we would not have sinned. And we need to know that truth and communicate that truth so that they know that there is an answer to this. And the answer is start following Jesus Christ. So at least those first two aren't the reasons why we're suffering. And thirdly, because we know that one day he's going to do away with this whole world, right? And give us a new heavens and a new earth that we can start over again. And that's the hope that we have. And so when someone says, well, I'm suffering, and so that means the gospel message is not true. That's not the way that it is. And we have to make sure that we're communicating it that way. Lastly, two things. We need to make sure that we're communicating it through verbally challenging others. Again, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, Ephesians 5.11, but instead even expose them. We can't just watch people go by us and expect that they're going to be transformed because I'm being nice and smiling. It's great to do that, but at some point I need to explain to them why I'm being this way. Because there are a lot of atheists, there are a lot of non-Christians out there that are very, very nice and do a lot of good things for other people. They're not coming to Jesus because of that. And so I need the lifestyle to back it up, but at some point I need to say the words and I need to explain to them that and I need to challenge them. Then lastly, through surviving challenges. 1 Peter 3, submit to your own husbands. He says in verse 1. And then he says something weird in verse 6. He says, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, why would he tell the wife to submit? And as she prepares to submit, don't be afraid of what's about to happen. Why would he, she need to know that? The reason is because sometimes when we do good to the other person, they still don't do good to us. 
okay? And sometimes what we might do is, well, this isn't working, and so I'm, I'm done with that person. I'm not going to be nice with him if he's not going to be nice with me, and so I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid that the gospel message doesn't actually do anything because of the present poor circumstances. And Paul is telling the wives, listen, no, you submit to your husbands trusting Don't be afraid of negative circumstances. Don't be afraid of challenges. Trust through this and keep doing this even if there are struggles. That's why he says in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, have no fear of them, speaking of the authorities or those who persecute us, nor be troubled, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Serving Jesus makes life better, but sometimes there's problems in the process. And if we don't know how to overcome those things, we'll give up on this pursuit of Christ. Second Corinthians 4, 3 to 6, and if our gospel is veiled, listen to this. If you've ever tried to reach someone and you got frustrated, and if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The church in America is failing. And it is not failing because God isn't all-powerful. It is not failing because the gospel isn't true. It's not failing because it isn't transformative to live for Jesus Christ. It's failing because believers have attempted to reach those people and have faced failure and struggle and difficulty and gave up on the mission. And that's why the church is failing. It's not failing because the public schools teach evolution and and all kinds of sexual ethics that are ungodly. It's not failing because the media isn't supporting the, the faith of Christ. It's failing because the believers are not able to tolerate the challenges and the obstacles that stand in our way. And we are capable of seeing transformation come into the lives of others if we're willing to push through the heartache and the struggles and the difficulties. Listen, I find myself day after day facing failures and day after day trying to do different things in this church and in this neighborhood and sometimes see movement and sometimes I do not. But the answer isn't to quit. The answer isn't to stop because the gospel is powerful. We just have to know how to live it and we just have to know how to communicate it, and we have to actually start believing it. Will you stand with me? Worship team, will you come and prepare to lead us? The gospel is powerful to transform a life. If I believe, then I speak. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? And just want to lead something softly in the background. Does your life demonstrate the power of the gospel? Does your life demonstrate the power of the gospel? Are there people around you that are not being drawn to Christ because there is a lack of the power of the gospel in your life? And know that that statement, if that's where you are, it shouldn't deal a death blow to you. It shouldn't give you discouragement or depression because the answer is 
His mercies are new every morning. And he pieces together the broken heart, a broken and a contrite spirit he will not deny. And so the answer is, then just begin to live for him. And even if the people around you are not responding, and you seem to still face struggles, perhaps you need the strength to keep going. Because, you know, it's easy to live for Christ when everybody else around you is all fired up to do so. It's hard when nobody else seems to be interested. And if you would say today, you know, I, I think I see some weakness in me, and I need to repent. Some of it's me. Some of it's just it's hard. And I want to ask Jesus to give me the power of the Holy Spirit to be everything that he's called me to be so that I can walk in his blessings, so that I can bless those in my life that I care about, but so that I can achieve the will of God to advance this gospel message. So if that's you and you would like me to pray for you for that, just raise your hand and say, that's me. I have weakness in my life. I need strengthen, and I need the ability to live out this gospel message. Lord, you see these hands, and I ask that you would be at work in their lives, that you would now begin to fill them with the Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with hope for their marriage, for their children, for their household, for their health, for their finances, for their emotions, for their friends, for their parents, their siblings, their neighbors, their bosses, their co-workers, that you would begin to now fill them with hope that our God can transform that life no matter how hard it is. And you, Lord, can help us to be everything that you called us to be. And so, Lord, help us to walk in that. Help us to be faithful to you. And help us to trust that even when we're crushed or pressed, even when we're struggling, there is always hope for us. Because we know that all things work together for the good of those who love you. And we know that in the end, we are more than conquerors. We will end with victorious, with victory over our enemies. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to walk in that and to communicate that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of the reasons I shared that, and when you came in, you received an invite card to come to our church. That wasn't to invite you to come to our church. We want you to come. But in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to have stability in our thought life next week, in our emotions, in our relationships. And I think that you know somebody that might be struggling in those areas. Then I want you to invite them to come and be a part of what God has to say about life, giving life into those areas. But secondly... What we're going to do with one-to-one -one is, is we're, we're going to try to intentionally contact the people in the church to provide care and, and service to the people in our church. But also, we're going to start going back to Coons. And Coons has regularly opened the door for us to go out there and interact with their customers and hand things out. And we're, going to, we're trying to build a team of people that can provide care for other people that are struggling. Do you believe that you can provide care for people that are struggling? Okay. Uh, we're going to provide training to do that. And then we're going to go to Coons and we're going to let people know, hey, if you're struggling with this area, this area, there's people who love you and want to walk through that with you and help you. And we also have, if you've seen the He Gets Us campaigns on, on, on TV, that Jesus Gets Us. If you've not, there's ad campaigns uh, for that. And there's other ad campaigns that an organization called Glue 
works with those ad campaigns to, as people respond and say, yes, I need help, they funnel them to the local churches. And, and they do that for free to the churches. We just have to have a team that can respond and take care of those things. So we're working to build connections with our community. And listen, you might say, well, I don't feel that well. If you're streaming online, you might say, I'm stuck at home, so I don't know what I could do for somebody. We can all pick up the phone, even if we're stuck at home, and pray for someone, encourage them, point them in the right direction. And that's the opportunity that we're going to gain by doing this. And so I know that it's, it's hard to say, hey, go out there and witness to somebody. But I want to provide a way for us to easily do that by people beginning to come to us and say, we need help, and we can provide that care for those, for those people. And so please, I encourage you to come to that meeting in two weeks and, and inquire about how you can be involved in that. Because the gospel can change lives if we'll let it. And it's, anyway, I love you guys. Thank you. And I hope that you know that I did say that, right? The invite cards? What's that? Oh, well, if you don't have one of those, Arlene has them. She'll give them to you. But uh, invite someone to come along and, and see what the Lord has for them, okay? Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing. And I ask, Lord, that you would continue to breathe life into us and that you would help us to be a light and salt to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you. God bless you. See you next week.